Hello and welcome to the Old Time Radio Hour. I'm your host, Justine Ward, and each week we bring you a classic show from radio's golden age. This is our second of two weeks enjoying The Adventures of the Third Man with Orson Welles starring as Harry Lyme, based on the original movie. The series was created and recorded in London for syndication through the Mutual Network. The acting is terrific and the plots are exciting. The first of our two episodes is actually the first of the entire series. It is set in Budapest, Hungary, where Harry helps to plan a bank robbery. This is The Lives of Harry Lime, Too Many Crooks, first broadcast August 8, 1951, on Mutual. <laughs> Presenting Orson Welles as the third man. The lives of Harry Lyme. The fabulous stories of the immortal character, originally created in the motion picture The Third Man, with zither music by Anton Karras. was the shot that killed Harry Lyme. He died in a sewer beneath Vienna. As those of you know who saw the movie The Third Man. Yes, that was the end of Harry Lyme. But it was not the beginning. Harry Lyme had many lives. And I can recount all of them. How do I know? Very simple. Because my name is Harry Lyme. Don't get me wrong, I love Budapest. From Budapest come goulashes and shardashes. Shardashes being something you dance and goulash being something you eat if you go for all that paprika. Me, I love it. So, when I got that telegram, I took the first train to Hungary. Maybe I'd better tell you about the telegram first. Dear Mr. Lyme, it said, My bank is going to be robbed and I need your help. It was signed Fekety, evidently a man's name, nobody I knew. I knew all about bank robberies, however, and I was dying to help. Besides, as I say, I love paprika. So I started packing right away. Wells as Harry Lyme, the third man, in today's story, Too Many Crooks. Before calling out the bank, 
I started a cute little flower shop I happened to notice across the way. Uh, good morning. Uh, would you give me something for my buttonhole? Well, Lily. Lily, what are you doing here? We have some very pretty pink gardenias. Oh, come on, Lily. Don't tell me you don't remember me. And how are all the Corellis? The who? Huh? Don't give me that, Lily. My name is Lulu. Well, it used to be Lily, and you used to be a blonde. And the Corellis, as you know perfectly well, because you used to work for them of the best bank robbers in Central Europe. Well, what about it, honey? Here are your gardenias, Harry. Now get out of here. Okay, honey, okay. No need to get in a hassle. I'm telling you, Harry, get out. <laughs> never was one to argue, so I took my guide across the street and the bank. Mr. Feckety will see Mr. Harry Lyme. You can go in now, Mr. Lyme. Oh, thank you. Mr. Feckety will see you. Yes, that's what I gathered. Uh, this way, please. And thank you. Oh, Mr. Lyme, uh, will you please extinguish your cigarette? Mr. Feckety does not approve of smoking. Thanks. I'll bear that in mind. Mr. Lyme. Come in. Come in and shut the door. There's a date. Do you mind if I sit down, Mr. Feckety, or is there a rule against that? Sit down, sit down. You're a very impertinent young man, but I don't mind that. I am an impertinent older man. We ought to get along together very nicely. What's your proposition, Mr. Feckety? Yeah. What do you mean? That's what I said. What's your proposition? Uh, listen to me, Lime. I don't make propositions. I consider them. Have it your own way, Feckety. I'm a big boy now, and I'm not so easily impressed. Uh, what do you mean, impressed? All this big desk, double secretary, Mr. Feckety, will see you now, Mr. Feckety, doesn't approve of smoking, busy executive hoopla. I may go down very well with the bumpkins who give you their money to invest. It doesn't mean a thing to me. You sent for me, didn't you? I crossed three national borders to get here and lost a lot of time, so don't ask me what's my proposition. What's yours, Mr. Feckety? <laughs> very good, very good indeed. You're just the man I hoped you were. <laughs> Have a cigar. Wouldn't that be breaking the rules? I make the rules, Mr. Lamb, and I don't like cheap tobacco smoke. Nor do I enjoy being forced to distribute these very costly custom-made Havanas to every, what is it you call them, bumpkin, who comes into my office. I think you'll enjoy these. Thanks. Light? Thanks. Good. Now that we're a little more at ease, uh, suppose you tell me something about yourself. Why? What do you mean, why? I wish you'd stop asking me what I mean by everything I say, Faculty. I said why, and I meant why. You put private detectives on my trail, you found me, you made me a very substantial down payment on services to be rendered, and now, when I get here, you want me to tell you about myself. That's just plain silly, old man. It's obvious that if you went to all that trouble and expense to get me here, you knew about me already. I'm the one to ask the questions, <laughs> not you. <laughs> better and better. Mr. Lyme, if you were just a little less notorious as a cook, I'd offer you a vice presidency in my bank. I forgive the insult, Mr. Faggerty. Uh, what do you mean, insult? There you go asking what I mean again. I meant insult. Now, don't you get pompous on me, Lyme. You are a crook, a well-famous one. You don't want to deny that. What I don't want is very simple, Mr. Faggerty. I don't want to be a vice president of your bank. Huh? Oh, 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 oh I follow you now. <laughs> don't worry, Lyme. Right. I promised you $20,000. That's right. It's equivalent to Hungarian bankers. Oh, wait a minute. And you'll get it without having to serve as an officer of this you bank. You promised me $20,000, old man. There weren't any gimmicks in the agreement about the joke money you folks pass off on each other locally. I know. I carry my own microscope for reading the fine type. Very well, very well. $20,000 it is. Uh, don't you want to know what I expect you to do for Mr. it? Mr. Feckety, you keep making me repeat myself. I told you before that I'm a big boy now. If you're giving me 20,000 bucks, I can relax, not worry about asking you silly questions. You're going to get around eventually to telling me what you expect me to do for it. Hmm. Uh, did you ever hear of a bank giving a reward? Yes, but only after a bank robbery. Exactly. Uh. Exactly. Only after a bank has been robbed. I'm reversing the procedure line. I'm giving the reward first. Oh, so that's the little caper, is it? You want me to rob your bank for you? Well, not at all, not at all. A reward is usually given for apprehending the thieves who have robbed the bank. What I want you to do, Harry, 
I may call you Harry? Certainly, old man. Call me Harry if it gives you any fun. Well, Harry, what I want you to do is to apprehend the robbers before the robbery is committed. (laughs) Very clever, don't you think so? Uh, Have another cigar. In my business, I may get in the way of an awful lot of screwy deals, but I can tell you that never in a long career have I been offered in complete seriousness a loopier proposition than Mr. Feckett's. Seems the key to the whole affair was Mr. Feckett's junior officer in the bank, a certain Mr. Fodor. Lordis Loss Fodor is the full name, Harry. Mm. He's one of our vice presidents. I see. And I tell you this right now, the man is an unprincipled criminal. Oh? And come here and I'll show him to you. Come this way. You can see him through the glass pan. Oh, yes. There he is. Oh, that one? Second desk to the right. Uh, with all those silly hairs pasted over his bald head. <laughs> That's the man. He doesn't look very dangerous to me. Fodor? Dangerous? He is the brain of a backward bird and the charm of a worm. Now that I look back on it, I can't imagine how I ever persuaded myself to be jealous of Jealous? I don't follow you, old man. If I have a fault, Harry, it is this. I do tend to be jealous. Lulu often chides me about it, and I have promised to curb the instinct, but there, it is a part of my case. Lulu? You mean the girl in the flower shop across the way, that Lulu? She is the only Lulu I know, Mr. Lyon. How does it happen that you are acquainted with it? You see this carnation? I see it, yes. Lulu sold it to me, overcharged me, scandalously, as a matter of fact. Poor Lulu is a working girl. She must live. How does it happen you know her? What makes you think I do? You know her name? Oh, one of the other customers called her that while I was still in the shop. As it happens, it was this little fellow you just pointed out to me over there, the vice president, uh, Fodor. Third vice president. I hate to keep harping on these commercial matters, faculty old man, but just how does my $20,000 reward come into the picture? Let us retire to my inner office, Harry. I never tell you. Okay, come. old man. Uh, sit down, please, Harry. Have another cigar. My pockets are bulging with cigars now, old man. Let's concentrate on the 20,000. Certainly, yes. certainly. Oh, Miss Carver, Miss Carver. Yes, Mr. Feckative? Uh, no matter who calls, don't disturb me. Not on any account. I'm having an important conference. Yes, Mr. Feckative. Oh, jealousy, Harry. Jealousy is a terrible yes, thing. Yes, yes, certainly is. Now about this reward. Jealousy uh, is the green-eyed monster who doth mock the meat it feeds on. That's how the poet Shakespeare expresses yeah, the it. The poet Shakespeare said a mouthful, and now... But still, if it had not been for jealousy, I would never have followed this photo into Lulu's shop. And if I hadn't done that, I would never have discovered the digging. Digging? What digging? What would you say, Harry, if I were to tell you that running under the street from Lulu's flower shop to this bank, there is a tunnel? A tunnel? What would you say if I told you that? Well, I'd say, well, 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 what do you know? That's what I'd say. That's what I said when I found out about it. And that's why I say now that I mustn't ever forget to be grateful to jealousy. Particularly since I've discovered that there's nothing between Lolo and Fodor. Or nothing serious. And uh, do you know what I'd say to that? No. A couple of rude words. Yeah, but why? Why? You find him scrabbling away together like a couple of chubby moles, digging away in the general direction of your bank vault, and you say there's nothing serious between them? There isn't. I'm sure of that. I have Lulu's wife. And besides, what could she possibly see in a fat little identity like Fodor? No, the only one who thinks it's serious is Fodor. That's the whole point. Fodor is a dupe. A mere cat's point in the conspiracy. Oh, yes? And who's the mastermind? I am. Uh Uh-huh. And what does Fodor think about that? He languishes in ignorance. He knows nothing. And to think that he aspires, he dares to aspire to my position in the bank. How does Lulu fit in? I must tell you that Lulu has given me some reason to hope that she will someday make me the happiest man in the world. And how would she do that? By giving up Fodor or sending you a big bouquet of roses? Let's get down to cases, old man. Wedding bells can ring out from Buddha to Pest and back again, but I won't be there to throw any rice unless I get paid. 
What is it exactly you want from me? Lessons on how to help Fodor and Lulu rob your bank? Fodor's going to do the robbing. And besides, it isn't my bank. I'm only a seller. And then Fodor gives you the money to give to Lulu. Is that it? No, that would be silly. Uh, That's just what I was thinking. No, no. Every day, Fodor is supposed to take the paper money from the various cages and place it in the vault. This is his responsibility. Tonight, however, he will not do this. He will leave the money outside the vault, hidden in a large fighting cabinet. Oh, yeah. oh, the entire plan has been carefully worked out, I can assure you. All I can say is this folder of yours is a very cooperative type of cat's boy. Don't call him this folder of yours. He isn't. He's no folder of mine. Have it your own way, old man. What comes next? You, I suppose. Huh? You come a half hour later with a dark lantern and a gunny sack. You wrap up the money, join Lulu, who's been waiting for you across the street in the flower shop, and the two of you, hand in hand, move off down the road into the sunrise and also into the very choicest Hungarian hooskam. What is a hooskam? A jail or prison, a place of forcible incarceration, a lockup for bad little bank robbers. Not at all, not at all. It is Fodor who goes to prison. Oh, yes, and how do you work that? That is one of the things I want you to arrange. Oh, I see. I'm going to have to earn that 20000 I think we'll start by having it deposited in my name and in somebody else's bank, old man. Why now? And why another bank? Well, every bank in Budapest isn't going to be robbed tonight, so I think I'd prefer one of the others. And I'll take it now because I know you wouldn't want me to go to the police with what is, after all, a fairly sordid little story. Go to the police, but that's blackmail. Oh, watch your language, old man. Blackmail's a nasty word. You know, all I want is protection for my poor little 20000 I'll give you service for it, too, but I want to be absolutely positive that you're ready to meet your payroll. Very well. You'll have your money, but you will help me. I'm going to need a few you more solid facts, old man. Well, it all began with this insane jealousy of mine for Fodor. Oh, yeah? I took to following him. He used to go into Lulu's flower shop at night long after it was closed. And one time he left the shutter unfastened and I went in. There were no lights in the shop itself, but I could hear voices from the basement below. I opened the trap door very carefully so as not to be heard. And what do you think I saw? You saw Lulu, Fodor, and three men all hard at work digging a tunnel. Hmm? Yeah. How did you know? I didn't, I guess. After all, you told me there was a tunnel. But the three men, how did you know about them? Uh, still guessing. It's pretty obvious that Mr. Fodor and Lulu couldn't dig much of a hole without getting some help. Tell me this. It was Lulu who persuaded you to call me in on this deal, wasn't it? How did you know that? Still just guessing, old man, just guessing. Now, let me guess on for a minute and stop me when I'm wrong. When you saw what Lulu and Fodor were doing, you went home and brooded for a while, and a few days afterwards, you confronted her. It was the next day. Oh, okay, it was the next day. And Lulu admitted she was planning to rob the bank, but said she was just using Fodor, and you were the only one she really cared about. And if you joined the party, it's you she'd run off with, leaving Mr. Fodor holding the bag. Uh, an empty bag. How am I doing? <laughs> You're a clever man. Sure I am. That's why Lulu had you sent for me. You see, the idea is that Fodor will hide the money outside the vault and leave. Then, according to the arrangement, as he understands it, Lulu will come through the tunnel at night with her helpers and take the money back under the street through the tunnel. Uh, who did she tell Fodor these helpers were? She said one of them is her brother and the other two are cousins. And what did she tell you? That's what she told me. Uh, why? Nothing, nothing, old man. I need all Give me one more guess, hmm? Oh, go ahead. After Fodor leaves the money, what you do is crawl back through the tunnel with a sack of currency clenched in your teeth. But no, that wouldn't make any sense, would it? You'd run into a couple of brothers crawling in the opposite direction. Uh, I, I'm not to have anything to do with the tunnel. Oh. You see, Fodor leaves the money out just before closing time. That way, he's implicated and we have a scapegoat. So there's nothing to stop me from letting myself in with my key at night and walking away with the money. Who could suspect me? It's a perfect crime, Harry. Wouldn't you say so? Yes, yes, it's quite a crime if you look at it in one way. Uh, but tell me about the brothers. What are they supposed to think about all this? Oh, they don't know about it. Lulu hasn't told them. But the news will reach them eventually. And what then? They must be implicated somehow, along with Fodor. But I must be protected. I'm Lulu. That's what you're here for, Harry. Have another cigar.
Orson Welles returns in just a moment as the third man. And now, Orson Welles, as the third man, continues with today's story, Too Many Crooks. Naturally, the first thing I did after making my farewells to Mr. Feckety was to go across the street and pay a call on Lulu. Harry, yeah? listen to me carefully. I'm listening, honey. There's a little cafe on the hill above the old city. You know the place? Mm-hmm. There's a gold roost on the roof. Well, what about it? Go there and wait for me. You never can tell when Fodor Feckety will be bursting in here. They keep jumping across the street to check up on each other and buying geraniums. <laughs> Go to the cafe and I'll be with you as soon as I can close well, up what, here. what about the boys below? Oh, what do you mean? The construction crew, the Corellis. Oh, um, Feckety told you about the Corellis? I would have found out anyway, Lily. Lulu. Okay, what happens to them if you shut up the store? Isn't there a way out? No, but they won't be finished work before I'm back. And besides, what they don't know won't hurt them. Lily, or rather Lulu, it looks to me as though just about everybody around here is due to be hurt by what they don't know. I found the gold rooster and sat down on the terrace of the restaurant to wait for Mr. Feckety's fiancée. Over a glass of tokai, I tried to add up the situation as of then. As far as I could see, the whole setup was like a Picasso painting. No matter how you looked at it, it was cockeyed and upside down. Hello, Harry. Don't order anything for me. I haven't time. Don't worry, Lily. I'm not here to celebrate. We can have our party after I know who's going to pay the check. I wish you'd call me Lulu. Okay, Lulu. Now, here's all the sense I can make out of this little caper. You came here with the Corelli gang, right? No, they came first. Then they sent for me to work in the flower shop for a front. The tunnel was their idea. Then you sent for me. That was your idea. You're right. That photo thinks he's going to divvy up with the Corellis and marry you on the Mm, trophy. Something like that. And Feckety thinks something like the same something. The president thinks he's going to put it over the vice president. What about the construction crew? You mean Walter and yes, the others? the Pirellis, the original burglars. What are they going to get out of this? According to Feckety, it's going to be the old double cross, but if I know you, Feckety's in for the same gentle treatment. Harry, why should anybody get anything out of this except... Okay, Harry, okay. Book a couple of spaces for us on the first milk train out of Budapest, but be sure to get reservations on the bulletproof car. I wish you'd call me Lulu. <laughs> Trusting Hungarian depositors line up at the bank, leave their hard-earned pengos at the impressive-looking gilt cages for what they fondly believe is safekeeping, and hurry home to have their evening plate of goulash. Closing time comes and goes. Feckety doesn't leave. He just pretends to and stays skulking in his office. Meanwhile, Fodor takes the big packages of pengos, which, as you know, is Hungarian for money, dutifully to the door of the vault. He slams the vault loudly... This being for the benefit of the janitor, who is deaf anyway and doesn't hear, and quickly stows the loot in the empty filing cabinet which he has thoughtfully left nearby for just this purpose. He then goes home and passes a very restless night. The moon rises over the city and winks at its own reflection in the Danube. A lot of good Hungarians are in their beds. The others are all in a nightclub called the Arizona, dancing the Shardash. They do not come into this story, so we'll leave them dancing. Down onto the street, the Corellis, those adept bank robbers, continue to dig. 
They are putting the finishing touches on their tunnel, and we will not listen in on them because their conversation is very vulgar indeed. In his luxurious office, Mr. Feckety sits biting his nails and dreaming of a long West Indian cruise with Lulu in an adjoining deck chair. As the gang in the tunnel understand it, when the clock strikes 12, they are to open the secret trap door which they have previously prepared inside the bank, a section of tiling near the vault, go to the filing cabinet and take out the money which Porter has left there, thus eliminating the noise and inconvenience of breaking into the vault and, first closing the loose tile after themselves, scuttle back with the loot under the street into the flower shop, out into the night and as far away from Hungary as possible. As I say, that's the way the gang in the tunnel understand it. This is also the arrangement, as Mr. Fodor understands it, with a trifling difference, that he expects Lulu to stop by for him with his share of the profits. Like Mr. Feckety, he is biting his nails and dreaming of tropical cruises. And what of Lulu? Uh-huh, what of Lulu, indeed? It is Lulu's little plan to foozle everybody, Corelli, Fodor, and Feckety. She's led them all on to just this point. It is the point of departure. Lulu's departure. Lulu and all those neatly wrapped packages of pingos. The trouble is, it's all just a little bit too much for one little girl to handle alone, so Harry Lyme's been sent for. Harry is supposed to assist at the general foozling of one and all, and then, in due time, of course, he's to be foozled as well. Lulu will send Harry off to mail a postcard, and when he gets back, Lulu will have continued her travels alone, with nothing to keep her company but the loot. That, as I say, is the way Lulu understands it. The clock, high in the steeple of San Stefano, strikes twelve. This is the signal. Mr. Corelli, that celebrated expert with his two able assistants, starts toward the bank. The tunnel was not built for comfort, and the going on hands and feet is a trifle rough. There's a bit of genteel cursing, but hearts are high. At the sound of the clock, Mr. Feckety removes the bound bundles of money from their place of safety and checks once again the bolts and fastenings which keep the loose tile in its place. In the darkness, Mr. Feckety smiles. He is satisfied that, contrary to the Corelli's expectations, the bank end of the tunnel is firmly and irrevocably closed. Still smiling, he starts toting the money toward the side door for which he, Mr. Feckety, is the perfectly legal possessor of a key. On the outside, Lulu, with a high-speed car, is supposed to be waiting for him. Unfortunately, however, a moment earlier, Harry Lyme, on the flower shop end of the tunnel, has persuaded Lulu to go down for a moment and tell the boys not to try lifting that trick tile for at least a half hour. Lulu hates herself now for not having analyzed the merits of this suggestion. She has plenty of time now to think this over because foxy old Harry in the flower shop has bolted down the trap door. The clock has stopped striking, of course, and Mr. Feckety pops out of his bank looking for all the world like a jolly Christmas shopper with his arms loaded with bundles. There is a high-speed car waiting for Mr. Feckety, all right, but it is full of strange gentlemen, and they are all dressed in uniforms. Put up your hands, Feckety. Uh, Put up your hands. You're under arrest. But, but there's some mistake. Oh, not at all, old man. No mistake at all. You see, gentlemen, just as you were told, there he is, and there's the money. Come along now, Feckety. We are taking you in. You, Harry, a police informer. Not a bit of it, old man. I wouldn't dream of telling on you. No, the cops got the tip off from an anonymous letter, and you know how you spell anonymous? L-U-L-U. Lulu. She did it. 
Lulu. Lulu. That wouldn't be Lulu Hartz, would it? Uh, alias Lily the Twister. Yes, officer, I believe so. There's a reward offered for her capture, isn't there? Huh? I should say there is. What about the Corelli gang? They've got the biggest price on their heads in Central Europe. Oh, that's lovely. It's all beginning to add up when you throw in the generous reward Mr. Feckety posted in the name of his bank this afternoon. Uh, but you're not going to collect that, are Why you? not, old man? After all, you put up the money for me to collect before the bank was robbed, didn't you? You also wanted me to thwart the Corellis, and if you yourself are foolish enough to go breaking the law, you'll just have to oh. tell it to the judge. I'll tell him plenty. I'll tell him about you. Go ahead. I haven't broken any laws, remember, and you'll only help me collect my various rewards. As a matter of fact, Lyme, just what is your connection with this affair? What have you done? Officer, all I did was turn a bolt on a trap door. Nothing at all, really. Just a twist of the wrist. And now if you've got some spare handcuffs ready, I think we'd better open it up again. The folks down below may be getting a little fretful, and I think they'll appreciate a change of scene. If you'll come with me, officer, I'll show you the place. Really, Mr. Lyme, I can't tell you how great Please, please, old man, don't mention it. Pleasure, I assure you. Won't you have a cigar? Harry Lyme returns in just a moment. substituting those fat packages of pengos for the same weight of old newspapers. But the rate of exchange wasn't so good on the pengo just then, so I resisted the temptation. After all, as Mother always said, too many crooks spoil the goulash. You're listening to the Old Time Radio Hour with your host, Justine Ward. Next, we have more adventure with the globe-trotting criminal played with panache by Orson Welles. Harry is visiting Buenos Aires, Argentina during World War II, where so many wealthy Nazis have fled with their wealth. He plans to heist a Rubens painting from a gorgeous woman's collection. This is The Lives of Harry Lyme, Work of Art, first broadcast September 28, 1951, on Mutual. 
Presenting Orson Welles as The Third Man. The Lives of Harry Lyme. The fabulous stories of the immortal character, originally created in the motion picture The Third Man, with Zither Music by Anton Karras. died in a sewer beneath Vienna. As those of you know who saw the movie The Third Man, yes, that was the end of Harry Lyme. But it was not the beginning. No. He had many lives. And I can tell you about all of them. How? Because my name is Harry Lyme. Buenos Aires, July 1944. The Argentine papers were full of the attempted assassination of Adolf Hitler. It had failed, but all of us knew that the Nazi party was doomed. Buenos Aires was full of those once high in the Nazi councils, and they brought with them money, jewelry, art treasure. Orson Welles is Harry Lyme, the third man in Work of Art. Yes, there I was in Buenos Aires, just a clean-cut young American boy looking for a chance to hustle an honest buck. A friend had given me a letter to Senor Juan Fernandez, a gentleman with a handsome face, impeccable manners, and no morals. My informant had indicated that the senor might be helpful in guiding me along my chosen path. But when I called at his art galleries, housed in a brownstone building just off the Plaza del Congreso, he refused to see me. There were always other sources of income to be found without Senor Fernandez's help. And the bar at the Casa del Oro seemed an ideal place for a young man to start a career. Bartender. Bartender. Si, senor. Si, senor. The sponsor's still a bit tomorrow. I beg pardon. I don't understand much Spanish. I would make the apology for be so long. See the supply of rum behind the bar. She was finished. And I go to the stock room to bring some more. Okay, okay. Skip it. Skip it. No, le entiendo, senor. What is skip it? I need to let it go. Never mind. There's no harm done. I'll have a scotch. Gracias, senor. Uh, in uh, Buenos Aires, uh, we use Mozron, the speciality of the house. She's a drink I've made myself invented. Made from four different kinds of rum. The juice of the pineapple, the dash of good of your uh, sprinkling uh, of the... Fine, I'll have a scotch and soda. Say, senor. But you would like my speciality. You're from all the world. I see it is the fine... You make a mistake in ordering scotch and soda with rum, Mr. Oh. Why? Senor, I don't think rum 
Now, you should buy clothes in the stores of Buenos Aires as soon as possible. Miss Emily Post, I presume? No, my name is Ferendez. Juan Ferendez. And I do not make these suggestions for the sake of etiquette, Mr. Lyme, only for business reasons. I'm completely fascinated, Senor Fernandez. Please uh, continue. In our profession, we must dress as the multitude dresses. We must drink as they drink, act as they act. We must never call special attention to ourselves, but must seemingly melt into the background. Yeah, but I melt so badly. I'm serious. I tell you these things for your own good. Isn't this concern for me a little sudden, old man? This morning you wouldn't even see me. Your drinks, senor. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, you, senor. I'll have one of your specials, Gerardo. Uh, we'll be over the little table in the corner. But of course, senor. It was not judicious of you to come to my art gallery, Senor Lyme. You see, the business that goes on in the front rooms is quite regular, uh, but there is a back room where some of the transactions are a little bit less orthodox. Eh? Oh, yeah? My back room friends must not be seen coming into my establishment by my front room friends. You do understand. Well, of course, of course. It's perfectly clear. Lyme, you come to Buenos Aires to reap some of the wealth here, eh? You are not the type to do it honestly, and that is all right with me. I will help you. But we must remain casual acquaintances who meet in bars, not business associates. You must not come to my galleries. Okay, okay, old man. You are not giving me your full attention? Well, how could I? Did you see what came through that door? The beautiful senorita with the mm. off-the-shoulder dress. You don't miss anything either, do you? Not very much, I assure you, senor. Who is she, do you know? If you and I come to terms, senor, she is the first assignment. Senor Ferendez was about as communicative as a penguin. With a display of the ultimate in old world manners, he refused to say another word about the slender, dark eyed beauty who'd suddenly set my pulse pounding. Instead, he turned the conversation to other types of beauty, those found in paintings and sculpture. He began to test my knowledge of the arts and perhaps my conversational abilities. Apparently, my proficiency at the latter made up for any deficiencies in the former, where we soon came to terms. It wasn't until a second meeting, however, that the exact particulars of my new trade were explained by the master. We'd met accidentally at a roadside refreshment stand near the suburb of Belgrano. It is my desire that you make friends among our new residents. You can gain invitations to their homes and go through their private galleries, eh? There are many such private galleries. Well, that sounds interesting. Might even get a job later as a tourist guide. Your job will be to guide some friends of mine to the finest, the most expensive works of art in town. You must equip them with full descriptions of the galleries, the houses containing them, the personnel, the entrances, the exits. Okay, okay. Our souls have met. And now to that first assignment you spoke about, the senorita. Yes. Uh... Little is known of senorita Melissa Corday. She came here a few months ago. She rented an expensive villa and she's invited only a few close friends to see her art treasures. But according to reports, she's the owner of the most valuable painting in all of Buenos Aires. An original Rubens, worth a fortune. Mm. All that and original Rubens, too. Juan Ferendez is worried about what could happen to me. I, I wasn't going to be doing any of the stealing. My job consisted of being charming and observant. During the next few weeks, I managed to exercise my charm on half a dozen of the local gentry. I was invited to their homes, and I made polite compliments to my hosts, extravagant ones to my hostesses. You know, it's amazing how much information you can get if you say the right things about a woman's choice of dresses or a man's choice of wines. Senor Ferendez paid me handsomely for the information, but both of us were still primarily concerned with Senorita Melissa Corday. 
and she proved as elusive as the olive at the bottom of a martini. However, by this time we were both members of Buenos Aires Society, and an eventual meeting was inevitable. I managed to meet her often. As a matter of fact, I... she found me quite irresistible. I'm very sorry, Senor Lime, but I'm busy tomorrow. Uh, the, the following day, then? No, I'm sorry. The following day, I have an engagement. Well, the day after that, uh, Senorita. Busy. Busy, huh? Now, there were two things driving me toward Melissa Corday. My determination that I'd pierce that core of cold steel and my desire to get the Reuben. Oh, I've known women, I've heard before. Women with cash registers where their hearts were supposed to be, but it wasn't going to defeat me. I'd have a bank balance to blind the next mercenary woman I'd met, and Melissa Corday was going to be the donor. On Saturday evening, Senorita Corday was giving a large dinner party for a visiting American diplomat. After a short study of the guest list, I chose as my target an undersecretary of the English consulate, Mr. Albert Ramsey. I studied him carefully. I learned of some of his former posts and all of his weaknesses, including that of absent-mindedness. On Saturday evening, I followed him out of his hotel. Oh, oh, oh. I'm sorry, I'm I'm sorry, sorry I, was I, looking, I wasn't looking... Bertie. Bertie. Albert Ramsey in the flesh. Oh, yes, yes, <laughs> in the flesh, as you say. <laughs> How have you been, old boy? I heard you were connected with the concert over here, but I haven't had a chance to look you up. It is good seeing you well, again, yes, old man. It's nice seeing you. <laughs> Imagine bumping into good old Bert Ramsey right in the middle of Buenos Aires. It's been a long time, hasn't it? Well, I hope you'll forgive me. You know, frightful memory, you know, but I, I don't seem to remember quite where it was. Oh, you're joking, of course. You remember? It's at the Shoreham Hotel in Washington. Oh, yes, yes of, course. of course. How frightfully stupid of me. Washington, eh? Yes, Washington. It must have been about uh, 40. 1940 it was, but exactly. And you say you have a bad memory. Oh. <laughs> this is really a break bumping into you on my first free evening since I got here. You've got to have dinner with me, old man. Well, fact of the matter is, I have a dinner engagement. Charming girl. Having a bit of a party tonight. Promised I'd go. Well, I'm certainly not going to say goodbye after having been lucky enough to run into you. I hate these dinner parties myself, but then maybe you couldn't take me along even, even if you wanted to. Oh, I dare say it'd be all right. Well, as long as you say it'd be all right, you're sure I wouldn't be intruding? Oh, no, no, no. Of course not. No pretty girl like that will be delighted to have me bring a handsome young chap around. Probably only invited an old duffer like me because she needed an extra man. Well, if you're positive, it's all right. Oh, I do have a confession to make, though. That rotten memory of mine, you know. I remember our meetings in Washington, plain as though they occurred yesterday, but uh, your name slipped right out of my mind. <laughs> Did you imagine that? Huh? Well, don't apologize, don't apologize. It's Lyme. Harry Lyme. <laughs> You're a hat, senor. Oh, thanks, thanks. Here, take my stick, too. I've got a stalwart companion with me now. I won't need a stick if I'm attacked by rogues. <laughs> That's a good one, Bert. That's a good one. Ah, here, here comes our hostess. Ah, good evening, Mr. Ra- you look simply ravishing, my dear. Look, I want you to meet an old and very dear friend of mine, uh, Mr. Harry Lyme. I've had the pleasure. Oh, don't say I, 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 I didn't know. Oh, I'm terribly sorry, I... I didn't know Mr. Ramsey was coming here. I bumped into him. Oh, it's all my fault, my dear. Harry and I met accidentally, and I hadn't seen him for years. I simply insisted that he come along. I suppose I was so busy chatting about old times, I didn't get round to telling him who our hostess was. I see. I hope you'll pardon an old duffer. Yes, of course, Mr. Mm. Ramsey. Well, of course, you could call the police or have your servants throw me out. I say he's droll, isn't he, my dear? <laughs> Very. Well, come in and have a drink. The others are a little ahead of you already. Oh, we'll catch up when we had it. Oh, I don't think I'll have a drink tonight. I don't want a chance dulling my senses. I understand Melissa has an art collection that 
really worthwhile seeing. You're interested in art? Oh. Somehow I didn't think you would be. Very, very, very interested. Perhaps I've been wrong in my estimate of you, Mr. Lyme. I'll be happy to show you my gallery, if you really think you'd enjoy it. Honestly, Miss Corday, nothing could fascinate me more. Carson Wells returns in just a moment as the third man. Wells, as the third man, continues with Work of Art. Dinner was an eternity of rich food and rich people. The small talk was so small it was almost non-existent. But for one thing I could be thankful, my pal, Bertie Ramsey, forgot me in his absorption with a mustached Ecuadorian woman. He was probably fascinated by the task of counting her chins. No mean job, since she was constantly quivering with laughter. At any rate, the dinner was over in what seemed like a mere few months. And after what Mr. Ramsey probably would have called a decent interval, I persuaded Melissa Corday to take me on a cook's tour of her gallery. Well, this is it. Oh, it's magnificent. It, why, there must be a there must be a fortune represented here. That means little to me now. Perhaps someday it may have value for me again. Melissa, maybe you don't realize what's wrong. You're lonely. Uh, this first painting's quite interesting. A little-known artist, Constantine Langmuir, painted it. I suppose uh, it has little intrinsic value, but I recognize the scene. A little cove on the Riviera where I used to go when I was a child. Oh, that's lovely. That's a Degas over there, isn't it? Yes. And a Rubens. Uh, that is a Rubens, isn't it? Yes. When I first got it, I thought it was the answer to all my dreams. And it isn't now? <laughs> it's almost worthless. Well, so you can make things worthwhile again. You can learn how to dream again. Please, Harry. You're hurting my hand. You're hurting my heart. Well, yes, I don't know what's holding you back, but sometimes when we've been hurt, we build up a wall around ourselves. I know because I've been hurt. I've been lonely. Maybe neither of us has to be lonely again. No. Harry, please. I didn't intend to kiss you by force. Uh, I think maybe I'd better go back to my other guests. When you're ready to rejoin the others, just... Pull the door firmly. It's self-locking. The gallery was in a separate wing of the house, connected to a small sitting room with only the self-locking door between. The sitting room had a large French door that led to a small balcony, and the street was only seven or eight feet below. On the other side of the sitting room was a boudoir. Melissa's. The servants' quarters must be miles away. It was, it was a setup. And Harry Lyme wasn't going to give this setup away for any 25% of the Rubens' value. And Ferrandez take his 25%. It's going to be 75 for me. I wedged a match in the lock, and then I 
rejoined the gay party of the doddering diplomats. Oh. Well, there you are, my boy. Did you manage to come out with a Picasso under your coat? Yeah, it wouldn't quite fit, my dear. <laughs> I think we'd all give our eyes the teeth of some of Melissa's pleadings. She has some mm. real beauties, doesn't she? Well, let's say she possesses real beauty. Oh, well put, old boy, well put. Have a drink, Harry. Oh, no, I really have to be going... Melissa, if you'll excuse oh, me. Oh, a night young yet, Harry, the night well, young. I expect a busy day tomorrow. I'm awfully sorry. Well, if you must go. Please don't bother seeing me at the door, Melissa. I don't want to take you away from your other guests. Well, goodbye then. Thank you. Oh, hello. Good night. Bye, Bye now, Melissa. You are leaving, Senor Lyme? Yes, yes, I have to be going. No, I will get you. What are you going? Oh, I, I just had a little accident. The, hmm? the button off my coat. You wouldn't happen to have a needle in the thread, do you? Oh, a needle? A gujaillo. Oh, a gujaillo. Si, Senor Lyme. Pedro has right here in the cloakroom. And a pair of scissors and a sharp knight of a razor blade, something of that kind. Mm-hmm. You si, have one? si, si, understand Good. razor blade. Have yes. here. See, oh. si, needle. No, 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 no. Thanks very much. I can manage. I hate to keep troubling you, but suddenly, suddenly I seem to be very thirsty. Do you think I might have a glass of water? Uh, si, senor. Well, thank you. If you could get it while I sew this on. Uh, of course, senor. I should be right back. No, no, no. Take, take your time. Take, take all the time in the world. This was the one dangerous element in the whole scheme. I didn't see him now. I waited until the obliging Pedro was out of sight, then I slipped down the corridor. I hoped he wouldn't start a fuss when he found me gone. The guests and the servants were all busy, thank heavens. I reached the gallery and I slipped through the little sitting room into the room containing my Rubens, took the little matchstick out and heard the lock click, reassuring me. But just in case someone should come in, I took a position behind a heavy velvet drape. Hours later, I could hear the other guests take their departure, the servants locking windows and doors. Someone rattled the doorknob of the gallery and then went away. I heard Melissa's door open and close. But still I remained motionless. I waited until almost dawn, till the silence was thick and heavy. Stealthily I approached the priceless painting. I took the razor and slipped the canvas neatly from the frame. I rolled it up and slipped it into the lining of my coat. A few hurried stitches took care of the rip I'd made for it. Held my breath as I tiptoed to the door and opened it gently. Crossed to the French door that led to the balcony. Below was the street and safety. The latch worked easily. I started to turn the handle. Oh! Oh, my... my ankle! Oh! No, no, don't shoot. Yeah, so we've got a ladron, eh? It's on the lawn. Get oh. to your feet. Stand up. My ankle's killing me, Pedro. Pedro? You called me by name. Oh. Carlos, flash your light in his face. Huh? No. Pedro, Carlos. What in the world is going on? We have caught for you a burglar, senorita. A burglar. He is Senor Lime. <laughs> the politia. No, senorita? Wait just a minute, Carlos. Harry, what is the meaning of this? Melissa, what were you doing in my gallery? Well, I wasn't in the gallery. What? I could explain the whole thing very easily if we were alone. Not leave you alone with him, senorita. You don't think I'd try to harm you? No, Harry, I don't. It's all right, Pedro. Carlos, wait outside. We have our guns ready. You call if you need us, huh? And no funny business, senor Lime. 
Well, Hattie? I did a silly thing. I guess you wouldn't talk to me earlier, and I had so much to tell you. Things I couldn't say before your other guests. Hattie. So I came back to steal something. <gasps> I came back to steal a few hours alone with you. Oh, so Andrew. I tried to sneak out and, well, you know the rest. Oh, you're going to make Carlos and Pedro very unhappy. They thought they'd go to Ladron. Oh, <laughs> oh poor Harry. Your ankle hurts you very much. Well, when you look at me like that, I, I can't feel any pain. Oh, you'd better go back to your hotel and rest. Yes, I guess I'd better. Could I phone for a cab? Oh, I'll send you home in my car. Pedro can take you. You're very kind, Melissa. Monday morning came. What did the newspapers? Probably carrying my description. But no, there was, there was no mention of the robbery. For some reason, Melissa Corday had not reported the theft. <laughs> Maybe the old lime charm had been more effective than I thought. Still, I wasn't taking any chances. I made my way most carefully to the galleries of Senor Ferentes. And this time, I insisted on seeing him. <laughs> You should not have forced your way in, Harry. I told you I, I had to see you, and you'll be happy to see me. What in the world are you doing? Just removing a little painting I happened to pick up. Look. The Rubens. That's right. Mm-hmm. Need the money for it right away, Juan. I have to get out of the country now. Obviously. I get 75% this time. Of course, I know you haven't got that much cash hanging around, but I thought you could give me as much as you have now. I have enough to pay you what this is worth. Oh. What? This is not an original Rubens, but, Harry. But you were the one who I told me. I had never seen it when we discussed the matter. It's a good copy, a very good copy. Worth a hundred dollars, perhaps. No. So that's what she meant. It's it's almost worthless. I was worried about her morale. What's her game, Why? Oh, I suppose a very old one ensuring a fake, permitting someone to steal it and giving him ample time to make a getaway and then suddenly discovering the loss and reporting it to the insurance company. So now the insurance detects be after me and for a hundred dollar copy. Oh, those insurance investigators are always the most relentless. And she's in the clear. If I'm caught, she didn't dream it was a copy. If I make a getaway, she's rich. It was all window dressing. Those servants, the house, everything. You'd better leave, Harry. Pedro, he'd make a lovely witness. He even gave me the razor blade I used. I have a friend. He owns a small freighter. He sails in a few hours. I'll call him. The Natalie Third. It's it's moored in the Puerto Nuevo. Ah, I'll find it. I'm... I'm, uh... I'm awfully sorry, old man. I'm a little short of cash. Here, a hundred dollars for the Rubens copy. I don't know what I can do with it. Uh, The skipper of the freighter is a friend of mine. He will not charge you more than a hundred dollars. Okay, well, goodbye, old man. I suppose I just encountered one of the hazards of the profession. (laughs) Thanks for the hundred. You're welcome. He's gone? Yes, Senorita Corday, you can come out now. (sighs) I don't know how I can ever thank you. You were my only chance. I had to come to you, Signor Ferrandez. It was a great pleasure to save your masterpiece. Oh, that wasn't all you saved. No. If I'd called the police last night, there would have been no way of explaining the presence of an attractive man in my home at that hour. Mm-hmm. One who'd been present all evening. It would have been compromising. I never could have obtained my divorce. My only reason for being in Buenos Aires would have been shattered. My months of being rude to every man who looked at me... Unless my husband's agents could misinterpret my friendships. You know, I'm beginning to think I was never cut out for this business. We Spaniards are too sentimental, eh? Like Harry Lyme, I might have made a fortune out of this painting. Imagine getting uh, it back for a hundred dollars. But with no profit to me. All I accomplished was the saving of a woman's reputation. (laughs) A perishable commodity at best. (laughs) 
returns in just a moment. that last scene. I reconstructed it later from a few newspaper clippings. One reported the final divorce of Melissa Corday, former wife of a Nazi munitions manufacturer. Another reported her marriage to Senor Juan Ferrandez, well-known Argentinian art dealer. And a third, which must have been released to the press in anticipation of my reading it somewhere, told how a priceless work of art had been recovered for a hundred-dollar reward. <laughs> it had been a work of art, all right. the Old Time Radio Hour broadcast each week over the World Wide Web. You can subscribe at no charge through iTunes, Podbean, or RSS. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you can join us again next week for another hour of entertainment from the golden age of radio. Until then, this is your host, Justine Ward, saying so long for a while. <laughs> <laughs> 